and welcome back to Partial Lab. I'm Rifki Stern, executive producer at Aleph Beta. And I am Beth Lesh. I'm a writer here at Aleph Beta. Beth, welcome to your first episode. Oh, thanks, Rifki. You know, there's there's nothing I'd rather be doing. Yeah, I can imagine. Reminder to all of you out there, if you like what you're hearing, do not miss another episode. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear way more, check out AlephBeta.org, where we have hundreds of hours of content. Uh, you can get started watching for free or for a small monthly fee. There's basically unlimited content. And best of all, Beth, this is a new thing. Partial Lab listeners get a special coupon, 50% off your first month. Just put in the coupon code Partial Lab when you join. Okay, Beth, let's get into it. Let's talk about Parsha Shlach. Okay, so here we go. Parsha Shlach, I was reading through it last night and I noticed some things that sounded familiar. So I kept digging and I found more and more and more stuff. There really seems to be something here. I'm not sure what to make of it yet. I've got a lot of questions. So what I want you and me, Rifki, to do is to play with it all together. So here, I'm going to take you through it. You know, listeners, I'll take you through it too. And uh, and we'll all see if we can have some fun with it. Okay, I'm excited, Beth. Let's dive in. Okay, so here's here's the deal. Let's start with the story of the spies, because that's the main drama that happens in Parsha Shlach. Mm-hmm. Rifki, what, what do you remember? What's, what are the main themes? What are the main elements in the story of the spies? How would you recount it? So Parsha Shlach, right at the beginning of this week's Parsha, God tells Moshe, Moshe, send out some people and they're going to spy out the land, the land of Canaan, which we're about to come to, the land that I'm going to give you, the people of Israel. And then Moshe basically does so. He sends out a bunch of people. He sends one person out from each tribe. And then they come back and they give a report. Uh, They give a report to the whole people of Israel. And they say, oh my God, it was beautiful. But actually it was also a little bit scary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it was that the people were kind of scary. There were were some uh, intense fortifications and they were like, actually, you know, the land is beautiful but I don't think we're going to be able to handle mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. And then the people basically freaked out. <laughs> okay, so it's it's Parsha's freak out. Ooh, beautiful. Parsha's freak out. Okay, so here is what I'm hearing you saying. I'm going to say it back to you. And as I say this back to you, I want you to be thinking, where have I heard this before? Where else have they come All up? Right. Okay, you've got this story about B'nai Yisrael, right? When that term comes up in the Torah, what do you usually make of it? What does it usually mean? B'nai Israel. Yeah. I mean, it's the nation. It's it's the people of Israel. All right. So it's the people of Israel, but literally it means something more specific than that, right? Right. The children of Israel. Israel, of course, is the other name for Yahweh. Mm-hmm, right. Okay. And it, one of our forefathers. And it seems like there's there's maybe a little bit more of a, um, a precise reenactment here going on of B'nai Israel. In so right. far as Moshe, who does who who does he appoint to actually go and do the spying? Yeah, it was one person from each tribe, and of course, the tribes are the twelve sons of Yaakov of Israel. Awesome. So we've got these twelve men, and the twelve men are basically the Bnei Israel. They're the representatives mm-hmm. of the larger generic Bnei Israel, but they are a reenactment of the Bnei Israel. Yeah. All right, I like that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So someone, in this case Moshe, someone takes these men and sends them on a mission. The language that the, the verse uses is shalach. That's the name of the Parsha. Sends them on a mission. And what's the mission? The mission is that they're supposed to go see something. They're supposed mm-hmm. to see and what else are they supposed to do? They're supposed to see and then report back. Mm, exactly. Basically. Exactly. They bring back word. The language that's used by the verse is heshev davar, return word. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. So they go. And all, by the way, all this is taking place in the land of Canaan. Right? They go. They come back. And when they come back... Mourning ensues. 
Uh-huh. Okay. I think I'm kind of getting a flavor here, okay. but keep going. And one other thing, one other element that I'll point out to you, which is of those 12 men that got sent out on this mission, clearly something went wrong because the people responded with mourning, but did all 12 of them do, do something wrong? Or no. no. So how, how many, who no. were the good guys and who were the bad guys? There were 10 sort of bad guys, and that was the representative of all of the tribes except for two tribes, uh, Yehuda, whose representative, Khaled ben Yefune, he actually stood up and said to the people of Israel, don't be scared, don't worry, we got this, uh, when they seemed to be afraid. The other one was Hosea ben Nun, who who was Yoshua, who was the representative of Ephraim. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is the point where I think his name was changed, from Hosea ben Nun to mm-hmm. Yehoshua. So it was every, the, the good guys here were the representatives from Yehuda and Ephraim, and the bad guys was everyone else. Okay, so, story about B'nai Israel. Twelve men, each one representing one of the children of, of Yisrael, go out on a mission. Someone is shlach them. They're supposed to see something. They're supposed to bring back word. They come back. Ten of them do something terrible. Two of them are innocent. And mourning ensues. What does this remind you of? Where else have you heard this before? Okay, so I mean, the parallels don't exactly line up. And I think that's part of what we're going to explore if this is the correct story. But it it feels like the sale of Joseph, right? It feels like when Yaakov, Jacob, sent out his sons, and and you tip me off, Beth, with the language of uh, B'nai Yisrael, the sons of Israel, but Yaakov, Israel, sent out Yosef to go find his other sons. And he said to them, he said to him, oh, they're, they're shepherding out there, go and get them. And when he goes to find them, of course, he is sold down and ends up in Egypt. And then when the brothers come home and they say, hey, actually, we think Yosef died. Of course, they're, they're lying to their father. But basically, disaster ensues there. Okay. So, And just in, in case some of our, our listeners want to see how this gets gets ground in the psukim themselves. I mean, so just come with me for a second to, you know, the story of the sale of Yosef. Um, Bracious 37, uh, verse 14. Jacob sending Joseph on a mission. Lechna shalom shalom hatzon. So go and see the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of their flock. Bring back word. And he sends him out from the valley of Hebron and he comes to Shrem. So what words do you see in here already that are setting off a, a warning signal that remind you of um, remind you of the spies? I mean, the first instinct to me is just shalach, mm-hmm. right? Our, our parsha starts with shalach lecha anashim, send out men. And in the same way, Ba'ishachehu, mm-hmm. right? He sends him awesome. out. Awesome. So we've got shlach. Come with me to shlach, and we'll see if we can find some of these words reappearing. Take a look at ver- verse 18. What does he tell them to do? Go up into the mountains and... Uri'item etaaretz, right? And you should see the land. Good. So go... So I'm sending you... Okay. So do you, do you see that same language of seeing? So yeah, because right? if you verb? go back to, uh, to Yaakov, he says... Lechna re, right? Go and see. Go, go and check on the welfare of your brothers and of the flock. Mm-hmm. But it uses the same language of re. Go see this thing. Interesting. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. Now come with me to verse uh, to to Chafvav to twenty six. Uh huh. The spies go and then they come back. And what do they do when they come back? Right, and they they bring back word mm-hmm. onto them and to the whole nation. And very cool. So if you go back into the story of Yaakov and Yosef, it's the same thing, right? So what happens? Yaakov tells Yosef and bring back word. Report back to me afterwards. How's everything going? 
And now I see the next lines also, right? So what happens in the story of the spies in our in our Parsha? Vayarum et priharet. So what do they do? They don't only give back word, they show them the fruit of the land. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we know the story of Yaakov and Yosef, right? What happens when the brothers actually return? They show their father something. Very they nice. show him that bloody coat. Very nice. They show him the Sorry bloody coat. Sorry if I'm jumping the gun a little no, bit, no, but no, I'm getting no, excited. No. And then what does Yaakov say when he sees the coat? What does he think happened? On the basis of seeing that coat. What the brothers want him to think, right? He thinks that he was killed. Killed how? Chaya ra'a achaltihu. Uh, some sort of wild animal destroyed him and ate him. Mm-hmm. Okay, now stay with me for just a sec. Back to the story of the spies. What do they say about the land? Oh, Interesting. So when they're saying that basically they're like, this isn't worth it, we're going to get killed, we're going to get destroyed, the language they use is, Ha'aretz asher avarnu the land that we, we came to sort of check out, Eretz ocheret yoshvehahi, this is a land that eats its inhabitants, right? It's the same language. It's, it almost makes it sound like the land is some sort of crazy animal that is just going to eat everyone there. The same way this exactly. wild animal exactly. ate Yosef. So this is a land that devours its inhabitants. And now let's to see some more of these parallels because they, I'm telling you, Rifki, I was looking at this last night and the more I looked, the more I saw. Okay, so now let's okay, look at what happens. We, we already said, I, you know, I gave you a heads up. There's a mourning that happens in reaction to the spies report, right? So let's take a look at, I think this is going to be in, uh, in chapter 14 of Numbers. Right, so we see the first reaction from the people in the first verse there. So they all sort of lifted up their voices, and then they just they started crying and they they wept that mm-hmm, whole night. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got crying. Come with me down to Pasik Vav. Okay, so that's when basically the two guys who we said were the good guys, which were Yoshua and Kalev, they basically are distraught. So what do they do? Yeshua ben Nun v'Kalev ben Yifuna, Yeshua and Kalev, two of the spies of the land, Karu big dayhem. They tore their clothes. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got crying. We've got tearing of clothes. Come with me down to verse 39, Lamed Tess. What else uh-huh. do they do in reaction? So basically at this point, the people know that they're going to be punished greatly for this. It's going to be a very, very bad situation. Moshe tells them things are not going to go well. God's really mad. People are going to die. All these things. And what happens? And the people start mourning. Mm-hmm. The people start mourning greatly. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Crying. Tearing of clothes and mourning. Now, come back to the sale of Joseph. Take a look at the way the Torah describes Yaakov's reaction, right? So this is back in chapter 37. You're looking at verse 34. What does Jacob do? By cry Yaakov Simotav, right? As soon as he knows, as soon as he, he sees the bloody coat and he thinks that an animal has destroyed his son, he immediately tears his clothes. By Asem Sak and he puts on a sackcloth to wear. By Itabel Al Yamim Rabim, and he starts mourning his son and he mourns for many, many days. You know, basically he refuses to be comforted, he continues to mourn, and then the end of the verse says, Vayefk oto aviv, that his father just, he, he's weeping for mm-hmm. him. He will not be consoled. He just continues to weep. Mm-hmm. Beth, very, very cool. Not only are, is there some sort of similarity between the, the sins, so to speak, of the spies and of the, the sale of Joseph, but the reaction to those sins is also the same. It's different people, right? It's like different people involved in the reaction because for the people of Israel, it's the spies who acted the people who sinned 
And then the people who went through this sort of reaction to it. Mm -hmm. But then for Yaakov and the sale of Joseph, Yaakov is the one who gave the instructions, right? Similar to the way that God or Moshe gave the instructions. And then the brothers are the ones who sinned, like the nation were the ones who sinned. But then Yaakov is the one who goes through all of these verbs that line up with the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. Even though the people of Israel are the ones who sinned, and Yaakov presumably isn't the one who sinned. So there's a lot of parallels, but there's also a lot of questions, I think, in in sort of the algebra there. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot that I want to raise with you here, and you're you're starting to get at some of it. Let's 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 finish the game of, of underlining the parallels, and then I think we can start to dig into this stuff. We've got stories about B'nai Israel. There's twelve of them. It's a mission. There's the shlicha of the mission. The mission is to go and see something and to Heshiv Davar to bring back word about it. There's some act of ochel, of devouring, that takes place in the land of Canaan. And when people hear about the ochel, they mourn. They mourn with Bechia. They mourn with um, Hit Avlut. And they mourn with the tearing of garments. And one more thing. This is the thing that really, really, this is the thing that sealed the deal for me. Come with me back to Numbers to verse 32. And the spies, after they came back, they, they spread this evil report about the land. Awesome. Where else do we come across the word diba? Does that ring any bells diba. for you? Diba. I mean, I want to say my first instinct is, is, is the story of the sale of Joseph, but not because I actually know the content, but just because <laughs> that's, that's where I'm leaning towards. Okay, all right. So you've got, you've got good gambling instincts, Ruth Stern. So you. the answer is we're in chapter 37 looking at the sale of Joseph. I want you to scroll, turn, flip up to the, the second verse in that parak. Okay, and tell me what so happens. We go. This parak is chock full, right? At the end of it is the actual sale of Joseph. The beginning is also includes Joseph's dreams, right? Everything like that. Mm-hmm. So let me go back to the beginning. Ela toldot Yaakov. These are the toldot, the generations of Yaakov. Yosef ben Shiva Esreshana. Yosef was 17 years old. Hayaroe et Echabatzon. He was um, shepherding the flock with his brothers. Vuhu na'ar et b'nei bilha et b'nei zilpa. And he was, I guess, a kid with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, Nishayaviv, the wives of his father, Vayave Yosef et dibatam ra'a el avihem. Yosef brings back Adaba. Yosef brings back evil reports of them. He kind of like tells on them to his father. Here's very the thing. Cool. This word diba, how many times do you think it appears in the whole Chumash? I, I'm not very familiar with the word. So my guess, again, if my instincts are correct, is two. I'm guessing it appears ding, twice. Ding, 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 ding. Yosef's report about his brothers and the spies' report about the land. There's a lot of more fun stuff going on here. There's, um, there's bread in both stories, a couple of other fun things. But mm-hmm. I think the linguistic parallels are clearly here. I think there's five or six home runs. Okay, wait, Beth, I'm actually going to cut you off because I think the, the instinct I think both of us probably have and I think probably everyone listening at home has right now is, so what? So what does it mean? But before we dive into that conversation, I want to remind everyone listening at home, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. I personally use an app called Podcast Addict. Maybe that says something more about me. <laughs> uh, but wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to 
Partial Lab. And if you want to hear way more, check out AlephBeta.org. And again, special coupon code Partial Lab, one word, when you join. Okay, Beth, now let's get to the, the, the cool part, right? We did the math. We found the connections. We have the parallels. We can set up the charts clearly in our mind. And now let's go forward. Now let's figure out what this even means. Okay. I have some thoughts. I have some questions. I need your help. Oh, one other, one other parallel to add to the mix. We didn't even get into this. How many bad guys are there in the story of the Sin of the Spies? Oh my god, you're right. Okay, very cool. Shoot, I was thinking this before and I thought we'd get there. The Sin of the Spies has 10 bad guys. I want to almost say like one neutral-ish guy, right, who is Yoshua, who's like maybe a little bit quiet, but definitely is not one of the bad guys. And then Kaleb is the one who really stands up. The one who really stands up against these 10 and says, no, 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 guys, you don't understand. This is totally doable. Hey, everyone else, entire nation, we got this, we got this. And in the story of the sale of Joseph, there also seem to be 10 bad guys of the 12 brothers, right? There are 12 brothers. Brothers, but obviously Yosef isn't one of the bad guys. Yosef is the victim, right? Yosef is the one who is sold. And Benjamin, right, we have this sort of a fundamental assumption that Benjamin was basically too young and was not part of the not part of the sale of Joseph in any way. He wasn't there. Plus, you know, it makes sense. Benjamin and Yosef are, are full quote unquote brothers. They have they share a mother. What's interesting though is also the contrast, right? And we, we gotta explore this. It's pretty interesting to think that Kalev, who is sort of the hero of the spy story, Kalev is from the tribe of Yehuda. And who's Yehuda right? in the Sale of Yosef story? Yehuda is the leader of the bad guys, basically. Yehuda is the one who says to his brothers, Come, let's sell him to the Yishmaelim, right? Let's not kill him. You know, what's the point of that? Let's do something smarter. Let's actually sell him. Let's make a little money. Let's make a little profit about it. But the, the future of Yehuda's tribe, generations later, Kalev, Kalev does the opposite. Kalev stands up against the group. Pretty interesting stuff, Beth. Yeah, and there's even there's even more evidence than what we've gone into. It's really unbelievable. So I encourage anyone who's got time to sit and try to have fun with it. The, the, I think there's another conceptual parallel between these two sins, these two accounts, the sin of the spies and the sin of the sale of Joseph, which I think these pieces of evidence are pointing us to. We know that the sin of the spies led to a very specific and very tragic consequence. What was the tragic consequence of the sin of the spies? It was the major delay. It was the four, it was the entire nation died and there was a 40-year delay before the people were allowed to enter the land of Israel, mm-hmm. right? Before the sin of the spies, the people were going to go straight into the land of Canaan, right? It was it was supposed to be a pretty quick journey. People were going to go straight in, but after the sin of the spies, basically God says to the people, "Look, you're obviously not ready for this. This is not going to happen." Instead, the entire nation has to die out and their children, their descendants, they will be allowed into the land 40 years later. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing you say is you've, you've got this story about B'nai Yisrael. God has a plan for the people. And the plan involves coming to his land and settling it and flourishing in his land. But then there's a sin committed amongst B'nai Yisrael. And as a result of that sin, God has to intervene and he institutes a waiting period. He says, y'all are not ready for this. You need a little while longer before you can come to my land and settle in it. How much longer? 40 years. What's the parallel? Is there oh a parallel God. to Beth, the sale of this Yosef? This is so, so cool. Yeah? You like right? it? Right? Because let me just think it out and tell me tell me if I'm missing pieces or tell me if this wasn't exactly what you had in mind. But basically, 
what was happening with the sons of Yaakov? Yaakov was the first one, right? Abraham didn't really get to do this. Yitzchak didn't really get to do this. Yaakov was the first one who really was able to settle in the land of Israel, which wasn't yet obviously the land of Israel, that's him, but it was the first one to sort of settle in this land. He was building a family in this land, right? He was able to bring everyone back from the house of Lavan, and he was building this nation, But then after the sale of Joseph, when Joseph goes down to Egypt, becomes a powerful person, basically the entire family ends up moving down. They all leave the land of Canaan. Mm -hmm. It's like God sort of saying like, look, this, this clearly wasn't meant to be. If it weren't for the sale of Joseph, right, we can only imagine what could have been. The nation of Israel could have started. There would be no exodus. There would be no slavery. There would be no need to bring the people through the Midbar, through the 40 year journey, there would be no sin of the spies. None of this would have happened without chapter 37 of Genesis, without the sale of Joseph. And it, it, it's crazy that, I mean, it's 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 depressing, but it's it's a fascinating thing to imagine what could have been. And then in some ways that's it's tragic. Replay. Come with me to the beginning. Again, the beginning of the chapter of the sale of Yosef. And Rabbi Foreman makes this point, and I love this. The dream could mm-hmm. have and was supposed to start with Yaakov. That was God's plan A, right? Rabbi Foreman says, right. look at this language. There's a few different ways that you can say to settle. And two of them appear in this verse. What do you see? There's Vayeshev Yaakov. And there's Be'eretz Migure Aviv. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Lagor and Lashevet. How are those words different? Vayeshev is living. Vayeshev isn't visiting. Vayeshev isn't like kind of putting up a, a, a tent. Vayeshev is building a foundation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Vayeshev is building a house and saying, good, I found it. I found the place I'm retiring. I found the place I'm raising. Not only raising my children, I'm going to be hosting my grandchildren. Vayeshev is is really living there and this is your future and this is what you're building. Be'eretz mm-hmm. Migure Aviv Gur, right, to, to Gur is sort of visiting, right? And what Yaakov is saying here is like, look, what I'm getting to do, right? And this is, you're right, right, by Foreman's theory, what I'm getting to do is what my 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 father, my grandfather, they never got to do this, right? They, they lived in Canaan, but they were more visitors. They didn't get to really, really settle this land. Yeah, they, were, right? they were renters. Yes, and it's really incredible because the contrast between Vayeshev Yaakov, Eretz Migurei Aviv, Yaakov is finally just settling. He's finally living there. But Eretz Canaan, this is it, to a, a few chapters later when he leaves. And he doesn't even want to go, right? But God tells him, no, 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 this is part, this is in the cards, right? This is what's supposed to happen. Right, right. You got, you got to leave. And you're, and you're rushing ahead. But if you're just here in 37 and you've never read the Torah before and you get up to this mm-hmm. verse, this is where you think the dream is going to be realized. The dream mm-hmm. that God made back to Avraham in the Brisbane Habasarim in chapter 15, you think that, that Yaakov is about to start the dream. And then what happens in the very next verse? Diba. The Diba, and it unravels coming out of the Diba, right? I wonder if that's not part of part of what we're supposed to be learning from these stories. There was the sin of Yosef, and the Torah isn't clear about the fact that the descent to Egypt and the slavery for 400 years in Egypt was a consequence of the sale of, jo- of Joseph. But I wonder if that's what these parallels aren't telling us. That we went down to Egypt, we stayed there as slaves, and the 400 years weren't enough. We showed that when it came to the sin of the spies. We needed 40 more. We needed one more generation to die out before we were really ready to exist as brothers 
and to actually inherit the land. Yeah, I mean, it's it's devastating to think about, right? In the same way that it's almost like Yaakov's ready to settle and God says to him, like, look, I know you wanted to do this and I wanted it for you also, but, you know, look at look at what's happening around you. Clearly, we're not at that stage yet. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but it's not time. Yeah. And it's almost like the same, right? It's like Moshe's, maybe the Yaakov character here. Moshe's and God's sort of saying, like, look, I wanted the people to be ready also. I also wanted to bring them into Canaan and for this whole, this whole period to be over. But you know what? Look, they're not ready yet. Mm-hmm. We need mm-hmm. a little bit more time. Here's the thing, Rifki. The textual parallels are there. I think they speak for themselves. And the consequences of the sins seem to be the same. The consequences of both sins seem to be that these are key turning points in the history of B'nai Yisrael, where God has a plan for his people, but the people commit some sin that causes God to intervene and institute a waiting period before they can really settle his land and flourish as a family. The consequences are the same. But what I still don't understand is how are the sins fundamentally similar? How is Yosef speaking Deba about his brothers, bringing an evil report about his brothers? How is that fundamentally similar to the sin of the spies speaking Deba about the land? I don't know. We don't even know what was the content of the Deba. What was it? We know what the spies said. What did Yosef say about his brothers? It's interesting, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I I don't know the answer, but right now I'm thinking, right? So what what is it that's so devastating about speaking ill of other people, mm-hmm. right? Mom, you won't believe what my sister did to me, right? What what's the problem there? Why does that bother my mom? You know, why 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 is that so fundamentally upsetting? Because my sister and I are supposed to be in relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. Our job is not to sort of be telling on each other. Yeah, sometimes my sister's going to do things that bother me. I'm going to do things that bother her. The reason that's problematic, though, is because we are, we, we're supposed to love each other, right? That relationship is one that's meant to be sort of based on love. And when this is just a theorem, I'm just sort of thinking this out. When Yosef goes to Yaakov and says, like, look at what these guys are doing. Look what's going on, whatever. He He's sort of breaking apart their relationship. He's thinking about his relationship with Yaakov. Maybe he's like, oh, I want to be the favorite son. I want to be the, like there, there's something there but he's he's ruining the relationship between brother and brother mm. and, and that breakdown i think is painful it's painful for yosef it's painful obviously for his brothers right for the the sons of uh, bilhan zelpa and it's also painful for yaakov because yaakov wants his sons to be in relationship with each other and it's painful for god right like meaning this whole thing, right, to- so much of Torah is about building relationships. Relationships with one another, relationships within our family, relationships outside our family, relationships with God. And th- this sort of diva is a breakdown of relationship. And uh, it's not exactly the same thing, but in Shlach, right, when when the spies go and they come back to the people of Israel and they have these evil reports about the land, it- it's like they're breaking relationship between people and land right what do we talk what do we talk about all the time in torah right there are two things that god promises us there are two things that are part of part of the brit right what will god give us god will give us two things land and we get kids Yes, land and kids, or or put differently, we have a relationship with family and we have a relationship with land. And when we bring Deba about this land, what we're saying is, hey, God, you promised this to us? No, 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 no. There is a problem with this relationship. There is a breakdown here. It's devastating. <laughs> Again, I feel like I keep coming back to this language, but it seems like that's really, that's really something there. I, I'm not sure. I feel like I'm not even articulating it really well, Beth, but did you hear kind of where, where I'm going or what I'm saying? Well, I hear you say a few different things. And I, I want to try to, to disentangle them. I mean, on the one hand, there's clearly something, some kind of toxic tribalism that finds its way into B'nai Israel 
in the case of the sale of, of Yosef. I mean, if you, if you go back to the chapter right before this, you go back to chapter 36, you see this. You know, we actually don't hear very much about the children. and who. Oh, no, no, that's actually two chapters before, chapter 35. We don't hear very much about what the children of, of Yaakov do and how they act. But then all of a sudden we hear something. We hear in, in verse 22 that... Ruvain did this thing, which seems to be really bad. Ruvain went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, right? Mm-hmm. And Israel heard of it. That's really the only thing that we've heard about any kind of action that children of, of Yaakov have taken. And then what, what does the Torah tell us immediately after that? It, it even picks up in that very verse. The sons of Jacob were 12, but they weren't really 12 because they were subdivided in all of these crazy tribalistic toxic ways. Keep on reading and see what you see. Right. B'nai Leah, Bechor, Yaakov, Reuben. The sons of Yaakov, Reuben's the firstborn. B'shimon, Levi Yehuda, Yisachar, Zbulun. Okay, and there's all these other kids. B'nai Rachel, and then there's Rachel. Yosef and Benjamin. She has these two sons, Yosef and Benjamin. B'nai Bilha, and right, who are the sons of Bilha? Shivcha, Rachel. Oh, by the way, she's also the Shivcha of Rachel. Dam and Naftali, B'nai Zilpah, Shivcha, Leah, and another handmaid, this one of Leah, she has also more children. God Vasher, two more kids. And these are the sons of Yaakov who were born to him in Padan Aram. It's interesting, right? In some ways, tribalism is a good thing, right? It gives us a sense of community. It gives us sort of this micro group that we can be affiliated with. But it seems like the Torah keeps saying B'nai Yaakov. Like it wants us to see them as sort of like a collective, right? B'nai Yaakov, B'nai Israel, right? There is something larger. But we also keep, as you said, we also keep sort of saying, let's focus really on these subgroups. Mm-hmm. Let's really mm-hmm. focus on the children of Leah, separate than the children of Rachel, separate than the children of Bilhah, separate from the children of Zilpah. These, all these little factions. And I don't know, I, this, this is just a theory. This is speculation. But I wonder, I wonder if this isn't where it, where it starts. That Ruvain comes and lays with Bilhah and Israel hears of it. When does he hear of it? Who told him? You think that that's what the Deba is? Maybe that's what the Deba was. And maybe this mm. is when the factionalism started. In other words, it's a little out of order, but I think it works. Maybe we, we hear nothing about the sons. Ruvain does this thing, which upsets his fellow brothers. They come from different mothers. They sense that their father treats them differently, and they're already poised to be adversarial. And then Ruvain does this thing, and ya- Yosef goes running to his father in tattletales. And from then on, they're not really the Shnei Masar B'nai Yaakov. They're really just the B'nai Leah, the B'nai Rachel, the B'nai Vilhan, the B'nai Zilpah. I don't know. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I, w- I think there, there is definitely something there, and it's really interesting. But I don't think this is where it starts, because it just goes further and further mm. and further back. You could say, you know, it doesn't start at the Deba. It starts with Ruvain's actions. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. It doesn't start at Ruvain's actions. It starts with Leah and Rachel. Right, and then, right. You know, and it, it really it's, goes it's back it's to, to Yaakov. Yaakov exactly. shouldn't have preferred and her. And then it goes, it goes even hear. earlier, right? I think it, it's so hard. Right, one of the things we say often about Torah is masa avot siman Right, that there, there's us sort of playing out the same relationships and the same dynamics generation after generation. And of course, as we see with this story and with Shlach, it doesn't end here. We see it continuing, obviously, in Shlach. Right, it doesn't get fixed. Unfortunately, we see the same dynamics playing out over and over. What is interesting, though, as as you mentioned before, is that now in Shlach, though, it's Kalev from the tribe of Yehuda, who is the leader of Leah's children, stands up with Yoshua, who is from the tribe of Ephraim, from Yosef. So we have now, we have Yosef, we have the son of Yosef, and we have the son of Yehuda standing up together, trying to help, trying to solve this, trying to fix 
the difficult relationship that is emerging between God and the people of Israel. And there's something really, I don't know, I mean, it's so sad to think about what's about to come for the people of Israel, but there's something redemptive about that. Mm-hmm. Just that, it gives us a glimmer of sort of hope mm-hmm. of, of repairing this this devastation. Mm-hmm. They're saying, we're not going to speak Deba this time. Deba set us off all those generations ago. This time we're going to stand together. It's not going to be brother against brother. It's not going to be me, Yehuda, casting you, Yosef, into a pit and selling you to make a little bit of extra money. This time we're going to stand up. Unfortunately, though, there is Deba, right? It's not from these brothers, right? The son of Yehuda changes. Kaleb and Yoshua can't fix this problem, but they can try, right? And that's that's what they have. You know, they have they have the, the start of the fixing. So we think about the story of the spies as being so tragic. You know, the spies did this terrible thing. God comes in with this egregious punishment. But it just makes me wonder, maybe this is really a story of us coming really, really close to the brink of destruction to the brink of sin and actually stepping back. But maybe we're missing something. Maybe there's something a lot more hopeful in the story. Maybe the point here is that you could have had all 12 of B'nai Israel engaging in Deba, right? All those years ago, Yosef started out with the Deba, B'nai Israel, they committed this terrible sin. You could have had all of the representatives of the tribes on board. And what would God have done then? If Kalev and Yehoshua hadn't stood up against the Deba, what would the punishment have been? It would have been a lot worse than 40 years in the desert. Maybe God would have thrown his hands up right then and said, that's it. That's mm-hmm. the end of the Torah. That's the end of the journey. But because so they maybe, stood you, up. You think maybe the son of Yehuda and the son of Yosef standing up together gave God this sense of, okay, you know what? It's not irredeemable. Something can come of this. Because look, we fixed this part, right? There's still issues, but we fixed this part. Right, and I don't I don't need another 400 years. I don't need another four generations. I need one more generation. With these two people as the seed, these two people as the foundation that are going to seed the mm-hmm. next generation. I need my next generation, the generation that wow. enters the land, to be the Yehudas and the Yosefs, the people who stand against Deba, the brothers who stand together. And imagine from both of their perspectives, the one who was thrown into the pit, is standing alongside the perpetrator, that's hard. And the one who perpetrated is standing alongside the victim, that's hard too. And that's wow. the seed that God's trying to populate, you know, the, the inhabitants of the land with. Beth, that is really, really, really cool. That is really cool. Thank you so, so much for showing this to me and for joining the podcast today because this was incredibly interesting. And I there's so much that I still feel like I want to chew the on. The parallels are there. I'm telling you, there's 3,000 questions. I hope our, 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 I hope our listeners can dig into this. I hope they can share with us what they come up with because I feel like we're, we're there's the tip of an iceberg, you know? Exactly. And speaking of which, of course, we owe always love hearing from you. Please, please, please be in touch with us. Email us at info at alephbeta.org. And of course, if you like what you're hearing, there, there are so many specific videos and courses that jump out to me, not to mention, obviously, a reformance book about Exodus, which deals with so much about what could have happened and goes back to the story of, of Yosef and Yaakov. Um, but there's also a ton of video courses on this at alephbeta.org. Please go check it out. And of course, start watching for free or for a small monthly fee, including your Partial Lab coupon, right? Partial Lab one word. You can get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of video and audio content. So go check it out. Beth, thank you so much. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Bye.